Hello, listeners. I'm Zach, and I'm Valina, and we're just a couple of horror fans making a horror podcast. Welcome to this house was never meant to be a podcast. We're gonna cover all of the horror anthology shows that we can get our hands on, mm-hmm. and today we will be continuing Tales from the Dark Side with the episode Snip Snip. And let me tell you, this one is quite a fun one. When I think of Tales from the Dark Side. This is the kind of episode that I think of. Yes, it's kind of dark and a bit gruesome, but also like really fun to watch and a little scary. This mm-hmm. is this is really what you do kind of think of. This is exactly what you sign up for when you watch Tales from the Dark Side. And let me tell you folks, this one's a fun one. Maybe not the best episode, but it is pretty fun. And I think that's worth watching it for anyway. Mm-hmm. We've watched this several times in a row now, and honestly, I like it more every time I watch it. It's just really good, and you start noticing things you hadn't before, and then just appreciating the way things are set up. It is actually really good. I would say at this point, it's one of my one of my favorites of season one, at least. And there are some pretty good contenders for some of the best in season one, so that's a pretty high praise. Speaking of high praise, we actually have a rather famous actress in this episode, don't we? I mean, she's... Okay. (laughs) She has an IMDb page, folks. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Granny in, um, the second Adam's Family movie? Uh, she plays, uh, uh, her... I mean, to be fair, I really like Granny in the Addams Family movies. So, I mean, that's not... I like it. Yeah, I mean, she's pretty cool. She plays, you know, Granny in uh, Addams Family Values. Apparently, there were three different actors. Like, each movie that came out had a different lady playing Granny. (laughs) I don't know why they couldn't hang on to Granny, but um, she kept leaving. She also played another old witch in The Princess Bride. She plays... Miracle Max's wife, Valerie, as this ugly old hag. And she also does, like, a lot of voice acting work. Like, she plays, like, minor characters, but she plays in um, Star vs. the Horses Evil, OKKO, and there's other kid shows like that. So she's she's still in business. Oh, yeah. Dang. Yeah, she plays, like, I I think she was even in, um, I think it's called The Hunters. I think it's, like, an Amazon Prime show. Yeah, I don't think I've heard of it. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen, like, ads for it and stuff, but I think she's also in that and then her rival in this episode, Abe North, is played by Bud Court, who I haven't really seen him in anything, but he's played Private Boone in MASH and Romero in Coyote Ugly. Hmm. You know, with these actors' names, they sound like pseudonyms, like a uh, pen they... name or something. Yeah, <laughs> I think. Like Bud Court and Carol Kane. Like, don't they both sound like they would be the opening line to, like, Moby Dick? <laughs> yes bud courts uh i mean i guess that's his real name but uh, according to imdb he was born walter edward cox hmm. so he just changed it to something old, like a lot shorter and of course carol kane is her real name but carol is short for carolyn so mm-hmm. carolyn kane which yeah. is honestly a really badass sounding name it, oh definitely it really is yeah especially if you're doing stuff like horror anthology shows and voice work i mean that's mm-hmm. a that's a memorable name it is 
So Carol Kane, just so y'all know, is actually an Academy Award, at least nominee. She actually got it for an independent film called Hester Shree that came out in 1975. We are just not very well read for movies. (laughs) We haven't watched a whole lot of miscellaneous movies from the last couple decades. Yeah, we pretty much watch horror stuff typical blockbuster schlock and old 80s tv shows yeah horror anthologies that's all we pretty much watch so if these people are much more famous then we can actually give them any kind of credit for unless it's coincidental that we're into the things that they were also in Mm -hmm. but that's not super common Uh yeah we're into deals with the dark side so if they appear in more of these episodes then that's when we're like aha yes but if they show up and like Knight Rider, probably not going to recognize it immediately, you know? <laughs> I think Bud Court was also in, like, something called Tales from the Weird Side or something that was, like, really oh. oddly copying off a Tales so from he, the Dark he, Side. So he goes to the uh, the Great Value brand, too. <laughs> the Tales from the Dark Side at home. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tales of the Unexpected, not Tales from the Weird Side. <laughs> Sorry about that, Just y'all. as weird, though. Yeah, he plays someone named Newt. And I think that's after this episode? Uh, yeah. It came out in, like... Well, actually, it came out in the same year. Hmm. So maybe they were just filming in the same place. (laughs) (laughs) Just next door was a completely different weird anthology show. We say weird anthology show as if Tales from the Dark Side ain't weird. (laughs) I know. Oh, he also played Willie Hitler and Son Hitler. Oh. (laughs) Well, you learn something new every day. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I don't know what kind of movie that is. I don't, honestly, I don't want to know. So instead of uh, stalking my IMDb page for this episode, let's start talking about the episode. Zachy, what happens in this episode? I am so glad you asked. The episode opens with what appears to look like a man. It looks like a man. <laughs> lifting the cover off of something, and it turns out to be a big gold chalice? But it's, like, bowl-sized, like a popcorn bowl. It literally looks like a giant incense burner. So he lifts that up, and as the credits are rolling, we see him lighting up candles with a long black candle, just literally everywhere across the apartment, like places you wouldn't put candles. Yeah, like, on the top of his television. Like, like who <laughs> would do that? You'd get, like, melted wax on your TV if it doesn't burn down first. Yeah, and the electronics and televisions are sensitive. Mm-hmm. So if any bit of wax got in there, you ain't getting a signal. Yeah, that stupid old-fashioned TV antenna is, like, practically leaning over those candles. That must affect the signal somehow. And? Maybe. He's got candles in front of, like, books and stuff. In front of his diplomas hanging on the wall. Like, I want fire anywhere. It's far away from my achievements and flammables. (laughs) And oftentimes, they're one and the same. Mm -hmm. So, he's lighting candles across the entire house. It is a fire hazard at this point. We then see he's like sitting on the couch. He's smoking a pipe just to show he's a tool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's wearing like an old fashioned robe. And consider this, I'm pretty sure this is supposed to take place in the 80s when the episode was uh, made. So he's not old fashioned or anything. He's it's just not like a-, a period type of scene. It's just a dude just pampering himself in the most obnoxious way yeah he looks like he's going out of his way to seem like he's this intellectual dude and it's hilarious when you find out what his job is (laughs) so to paint this picture further 
He is in a robe while smoking a pipe. And keep in mind, this robe is not one of the Hugh Hefner smoking robes, which are usually red with the black lapels. It's straight up a brown bathrobe. Like <laughs> <laughs> he thinks it looks so fancy. It's he makes, like, he thinks a it makes it. bathrobe that he got for free at a hotel. <laughs> I mean, it's not free at a hotel, but yeah, it looks like he totally stole it out of the dumpster. Mm. And uh, he's smoking a pipe and he's drinking whiskey out of a little whiskey glass. And he's watching TV and it quickly switches to the TV and you see that he's watching the lottery being read. And it's not like a lottery lottery where it's just rolling numbers. They're picking cards out of here. So this rags to riches, mega millions thing that they have going on. I think you buy a ticket you put your own numbers in there and they duplicate the ticket and throw it in the basket. Yeah, that's what it must be because they only end up pulling out a singular ticket that has all the numbers written on it. So mm-hmm. it's not like they're pulling out a bunch of numbers one by one. So it's not super random. Yeah, it, there is a guarantee someone will win. Mm. But the whole important thing is that he has his ticket. Mm. And this is important for the rest of the episode. So while he's watching the raffle, I guess that's kind of more like what it is. It's a raffle, right? Yeah. So he's watching the Mega Millions raffle. The show host is like, oh, if you guys win, uh, don't forget your old buddy, Mr. Hostman. And (laughs) the main character, Abe, freaking winks at the television, like, I gotcha. Because <laughs> he's definitely going to win. <laughs> it's so hilariously obnoxious. Like, <laughs> the TV announcer says, oh, for the lucky winner or whatever like that. Just talking about the winner, whoever it could be. And then Abe winks at the television. You got it, buddy. <laughs> yeah, it's just so silly. then he mutes the TV and he picks up the phone. And if you've seen enough television, you pretty much know where this is going. (laughs) He's going to call his boss. And so he does. He calls his boss and I believe he gets his wife on the phone. He's like, could you pass it to the headmaster? And then he starts talking to the headmaster, whoever this is. And he starts talking to him about his job and that he's been teaching at the high school high school geometry i think it was high school algebra oh yeah like a lower math yeah he's a lower math teacher at a high school and he'd been teaching there for 12 years i want to say it's kind of funny because he has so many books in his little library i'm like are those all math books like and three diplomas on the walls (laughs) yeah and it's just kind of weird because it makes you wonder if all of that stuff is just absolutely for show (laughs) I mean, it's not that those diplomas are probably all fake. I mean, he could have multiple diplomas. I don't know. I mean, you could have like a math diploma and then maybe like a separate teaching certificate. But like the sheer amount of books he has. And there are these old fashioned looking kind of books. So it feels like it's all just to make him feel a certain way about himself as opposed to something he'd likely be reading or using. Yes. He wants to appear sophisticated. Mm-hmm. And so... He calls his boss and he basically starts talking. Oh, and another thing too. The boss didn't know his name. (laughs) 
He like had to spell it to the boss. <laughs> so the boss, he calls and tells him who he was. And then he pauses and spells it out. Like he didn't even know who he was when he answered the phone. <laughs> so he calls his boss and he's telling him, I've been working here for 12 years and I'm finally going to have my chance and that I'm going to get out of this rotten job with, you know, all these snot-nosed kids don't want to learn anything and they're stupid parents who don't give a flying fig. <laughs> he does actually say flying fig. Yes, but his emphasis almost makes it sound like something else. And, uh... <laughs> He basically tells the boss that he started to explore the mysteries of the universe and that he wedges the phone into the couch. No, it's the chair because it's Yeah, Yeah, the chair. Like, it looks, it's like a lazy boy kind of chair. And he, like, wedges it into the backrest and it just stays upright. And he gets a crumpled piece of paper and he dunks it into the chalice bowl and it goes up in a puff of smoke and then <laughs> the ticket his winning lottery ticket floats out of there and he's he's moving his hands like he's playing an invisible harp and making it magically come towards him his spirits his his demons or whatever are giving him this power and they gave him the winning lottery ticket and it's a lottery ticket with six sixes on it because you know they're original (laughs) he opens the back of a bookshelf with a false back where he pulls out a poster and he hangs up this poster on the wall and this poster is a seven-sided star with an eye of providence above it with six sixes in the middle and I want to say a bunch of alchemical symbols on the sides, but I couldn't place any of them specifically. So I think they might have looked at a handful of different old symbols and just kind of like drew them from memory (laughs) because they're not quite the same, but they look similar. Like I could kind of see one of them look like a sulfur symbol. If you know what that looks like, it's like a cross with an infinity sign underneath it. But it was kind of a almost but not quite version of that. And so, again, it looks kind of goofy. So he hangs that up on the bookshelf. Which is completely needless. I mean, what does he... He has the ticket with the numbers on it. What is that poster thingy for? I don't know. Other than to sort of look demonic. Yeah. And then you have to remember, too, he probably was sitting there with big old Sharpies just drawing that for a little while. Just trying to get to convince the spirits to make that lottery ticket win. (laughs) So with that said, he then picks up the phone and he basically tells the boss, no, you listen to me. I am done teaching these kids. And if you don't like it, uh, shove it. I I mean, that's almost exactly. He does say shove it. Mm-hmm. Um, he screams I, it, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. He actually, he has actually a pretty decent performance of that. Oh, yeah. I've never heard that and shove it delivered quite as believably. And that's weird because you know, I always hear, I hear that fairly frequently. <laughs> Not to me, of course, but I hear that in shows and whatnot. And they can never quite make it feel like it's an actual insult. But mm-hmm. they managed to make it feel like an insult in this. <laughs> And it's really funny because, honestly, the second he does this, he calls his boss and essentially quits in the meanest way. You know exactly 
what is going to occur to this guy. Oh, it's... yeah. This is before the first commercial break. Yeah. So we know this ain't going right. Like, this dude is assuming 100% sure he's going to win and quits before getting the actual numbers. So, But he doesn't close the phone call with Shavit. He actually closes it with, my time has come. Which is interesting, and I think most directors would have probably had him slam the phone down. But I kind of appreciate that touch of him just kind of more talking to himself than his boss saying, you know, my time has come. And then closing out with the phone. Probably didn't want to break the phone prop, but I would like that touch. It's an interesting little direction to take it in, especially for something so small. Thanks, Terrence Callahan. (laughs) So once he hangs up, He watches the raffle being read, and the raffle guy gives some pretty fun foreshadowing. And so he's like, all right, folks, it's almost over. The magic moment is finally here. So he takes the ticket out of the big old wheel thing, and he's like, whoa, folks, this is a very odd number. The winning numbers are six, six. Six, 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 seven. And And Abe is so happy, so deliriously happy for like two seconds before he's like, wait, what? And then we see a cutaway to a lady who is in this rather large room. And she is just ecstatic. She's like, yes, yes, I won, I won, on. And then this part, he tells the audience watching that a Miss Anne McCall, the hairstylist, had won the winning prize. Although she's not going to be a hairstylist after this. Like, oh, she's going to not need to work ever again now that she's got the money. And so, of course, you get the kind of goofy music as Abe is just sitting there mortified. And I kind of want to mention, too, that uh, at first we were like, why in the world would they give away her name and her job? Like, that would put Mm -hmm. her in danger. But... We looked into it. In most states, you actually have to give your full name and the city you live in Mm -hmm. if you win a a lottery like that. And it's actually because they want to make sure the entire process is transparent. And I'm assuming that's to prevent the raffle drawers, I guess, from having cousins win or Mm -hmm. siblings or friends. So if they make sure the winners do not remain anonymous then it keeps people from being sneaky with their identities. Um, Although there's like six states, actually, that do allow you to remain anonymous up until a certain point or perhaps after a certain point, like I think $2 million. But yeah, so what they did is actually not giving enough information. Isn't that kind of terrifying? It's actually horrifying. (laughs) Like... Yeah, that would be completely horrifying to know just every stranger watching the television who's buying watching it because they wanted to win now knows where you live and your name. And not just that, they also have a big old list of people that they know where they live and what their names are. And even if the thing's over, that's still compiled information. Mm-hmm. Imagine if that got out all at once. Then a bunch of people's places of like residence would be 
completely just exposed. That'd be horrifying. <laughs> but uh, that's not a concern with this episode. What's more concerning to Abe is getting his job back. <laughs> As we knew was going to happen, you do not do something that stupid and not have it immediately thrown in your face. So Abe picks up the phone and he's like, Hey, uh, boss, yeah, um, I, I almost won. It was, it was, I was just one number off. I, what do you mean I won't get my job back? Listen, I, when I said shove it, I meant it as polite as possible. <laughs> I mean, he didn't say that, but I thought, basically, point is, he loses his job, and he can't get it back, so he's completely lost. He has no source of income anymore. He threw it all away, anticipating a bunch of money, and now he's got nothing. Mm -hmm. So now he's kind of desperate. Yep. So what he does, given that he now knows the information, he looks at the phone book to find the hairstylist named Ann McCall. Mm -hmm. So he's trying to look, and I guess he gives up, and then he just tears the page out, and he crumples it up, and he puts it in the chalice. And he's like, spirits, give me a sign. And then for some reason... I'm not quite sure about this. It explodes like three to five times worse than the first time. Just shakes the room explosion. And then he walks closer to it again. And we get a shot of him kind of massaging the air above it. Trying to like get a sign off of the paper. And keep in mind, there's nothing happening with the paper in the bowl, really. Uh, it's just burning. But he gets a sign, and he eventually gets to Anne McCall's apartment complex, I think. Or yeah. her place of business, Except which is that, also out of well, her home. Yeah, well, it's both. She lives in, I guess, an apartment or a room above somebody's deli. Mm -hmm. Because in the next scene, she'll be talking about it. So she lives in, I guess, a rented room or a rented studio above a business. And of course, she runs her business out of there. So it's both a hair salon and her house. Yeah. So with that, she's talking to this old Italian guy. Phil. Phil. Yeah. And he's talking to her and he's like, oh, can I see it again? And she's like, oh, you want to see the ticket again? And she like pulls the ticket out of her bra. <laughs> And he, like, touches, like, oh, this. he's just super excited about it. He tells her, like, oh, it's going to be sad if you move out. And it's such a wonderful thing that you got all that money. And keep in mind, there's going to be crazy people who heard about your ticket. And they're going to come after you. And she basically replies with, God, do you think Olu will let anything happen to me? And he, she points to the bird. It's like a black bird it's of like, some kind behind I her. I think it's like a magpie or something. Um, it's a weird black and white bird with an orange beak. It's like mostly black with I think some white areas on it. It has like this bright kind of orange beak. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's a real bird most of the time, so yeah. it's hard to tell what it actually looks like. We're not bird watchers. We're not 100% sure what it is. We know it's not a toucan at the very <laughs> least, which has the same kind of coloration. Yeah, but, it's not uh, a vulture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so she has a, a bird in a cage, and she calls it Lou. That's kind of interesting name. <laughs> so she basically takes the ticket back, and he says, like, I hope you don't change now that you're going to have all that money. And she asks, like, oh, you know, your hair's kind of curling up in the back. Why don't you come back tomorrow, and we'll give you a haircut? And he's like, oh, you, you really are never going to change. And he basically leaves I mean, there's not a whole lot of other ways you can leave. But... Out the door. 
Well, actually, so, it's like an elevator door. Yeah, and it's got the iron bars because it's uh, the closable iron bars that most shops have. Mm-hmm. And during the conversation, we see a ladder being set behind the window that they're talking in front of. And then we see Abe climbing it. And this is a comedy scene if I had ever seen any. You know, you've definitely seen that scene at least once where somebody is trying to sneak up on something and like they're doing something outside of the window and the people are just completely oblivious to something that's obviously happening in the background. Although even though it's like a guess of comedy, I know that is pretty common in old comedy sitcom mm-hmm. stuff. It's actually kind of very threatening. Yes. He's not there to do her any good, you know? Exactly, He's, like, explicitly there to harm her, and the fact that she's completely oblivious to this guy who's going to break in and do God knows what, it's actually really terrifying. Yes. (laughs) Even though Abe himself isn't scary, like, just the, the situation is actually really scary, and she's so oblivious to him being there. And this is important. Lou notices him and mm-hmm. squawks. I think he actually even speaks. I think he yeah. says, what's that? Lou, the bird, can speak. He says several lines. And what's that is one of them. Mm-hmm. So she hears the, the noise from outside. And she basically passes it off as the pipes making noise. Mm-hmm. So once the guy leaves, she goes up to Lou. And or does she change first? She changes first. Okay. I mean, she does talk to Lou, but as she's going over there to get changed, because she's wearing this white dress with a bunch of red dots on it. She's got like a big red bow in her hair. So she wants to get changed out of her quote unquote party dress. And it's funny because the dress she ends up changing into is, I mean, in my opinion, a lot nicer of a dress. Oh, yeah. Like, it's the oh, same yeah. style. It's this long sleeve dress with, like, I guess a v-neck or whatever. We're going to give her fashion opinion here <laughs> and just polka dots will never be fancy. No. Ever. So anything that's not a polka dotted dress is going to look a lot fancier. Yeah, I mean... But she changes into a black dress that's rather ornate looking. Yeah, it's it's Not, like, big, but... It's the same exact style of dress, the way it's shaped and the way it looks, but its sleeves are made out of black lace. And it's almost opaque, but it's still lace, which makes it a hundred times fancier than just a plain polka dot dress. Uh And it has this little upside down triangle on it at the very dip of the V-neck. It has a bunch of sequins on it. Or jewels. Yeah, and it looks a lot fancier. It's like you put that on to go to a party, not a polka dot dress. Uh That's like what you wear. I don't know when you would wear a dress, but it's plainer looking. (laughs) Oh, and speaking about what she's wearing, can we mention the rings? Yes. She is encrusted (laughs) with rings. One hand has four rings on it. She has four big old rings. Like when we're talking rings, we're not talking wedding bands. We're not talking those cute little rings with the tiny little diamonds. We're talking big old pirate treasure jewels. (laughs) Four of them. One, like, green, one red, one blue, one black on the one hand. And the black one is an odd one because it's really long and thin, as opposed to the other ones, which are just the big kind of rectangular-shaped ones. And on her other hand, she has a big rectangular black jewel. Although, these particular rings, they don't go to making her look super rich or anything. They're kind of cheap and gaudy-looking. So it's kind of what someone would wear as, like, a look But not Mm -hmm. really because they're an actual pirate king just wearing all his jewels. She's 
it's just kind of like a, I don't know, like a gaudy looking style. But yeah, it, she wants to make sure her hands are clicking whenever she's cutting hair. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how she could cut hair with that. But I guess it's because all of those huge rings were on her left hand. And I'm going to assume she's right-handed because there's no way you can be really dexter... Uh, dex... Dex... Dexterous? 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 With that many rings on your hand. Yeah. That would no, be that... like wearing a full brass knuckle on your hand just all the time. But with, yeah. a, with that thing is also wearing brass knuckles. on Like just horizontally on the top. It's just huge. Yeah, she's practically wearing the infinity gauntlet. Yeah. <laughs> so she goes to change and she's talking to Lou about all of her prospects about having all of this money. Yeah, actually, specifically, she mentions that she had a dream where so-and-so, I guess it's an actor, was going to marry her. And then she gets sort of talking about, well, even maybe some famous actor or a prince will fall in love with me, but I'm going to tell them no, even if they think I'm beautiful. And she kind of has this little monologue or even, I guess, a dialogue with her bird talking to him about how she's going to turn people down who want to be with her. Mm. I mean, not in like a malicious way necessarily, but kind of like she's fantasizing about all these people who are going to want to marry she's her. She's fantasizing about being a heartbreaker. Yeah. But like I said, not in a very malicious way, just kind of in a dreamy way. Yeah. And... <laughs> it's the it's having the opportunity to be a heartbreaker. That is the appealing part. Yeah, and it kind of makes her seem really melancholy, though. Mm -hmm. It makes me feel extra bad for her. And uh -huh. it doesn't help that she has, like, this really unique and adorable-sounding voice. She sounds like a less nasally, but still pretty nasally version of Audrey from Little Shop of Horrors. I would even describe her as sounding kind of like Jennifer Tilly from Bride of Chucky. She's got that really kind of unique, I don't want to say childish exactly, but it is kind of high-pitched and somewhat... Youthful. Youth, youthful, maybe? I don't know. It's very, very unique, and it's very endearing. It's charming. Yeah, it's very charming. And she's talking about all of these things that she's going to do when she's rich. And meanwhile, Abe is trying to sneak through. He climbs through the window, and he hides behind the pillar. Mm -hmm. But Lou notices, and he's like, Hello! <laughs> and Abe sees the ticket. She left it on the uh the arm of the chair. Yeah. And he says like hello. <laughs> and she's like, "Hello, what is it?" <laughs> and I'm just the way she responds is like, "Oh yeah, that is someone who owns a bird. <laughs> that is how people address birds." <laughs> she just repeat what they say to them. <laughs> <laughs> so by this point, Abe is at the chair where the ticket is. But Lou scares him again. And he panics, had almost reached the ticket, but he pulls his arm back and it knocks the back of the chair down. Mm -hmm. But he's behind the chair, so it doesn't go all the way down. And he doesn't try to push it back up because that might make more noise. So Anne goes over to where Abe is hiding and then she like, huh, that's weird. And she picks up the ticket and she's like, oh, I can't leave this laying around. You know what they say? No ticky, no winny. No, she said no ticket, no winning. It doesn't even rhyme. No ticket, oh, I thought no it was winning. no ticky, no winning. Nope. That's why I thought it was weird. <laughs> okay, so she says like no ticket, no winning, you know, as they say. <laughs> and she puts it in a little musical lockbox. And that is actually one of my favorite parts of the episode. And it gets <laughs> even better later. Chekhov's. Chekhov's box. music box, yeah. So she goes back to Lou 
And she's like, what's the matter, Lou? Oh, you must be hungry. After all of this partying and commotion about the ticket, I completely forgot to feed you your dinner. Not to worry, I'll fix you something right up. And she goes over to the fridge. And at this point, Abe is trying to get into the box now. And Lou is just watching with insane intent, you know, just has his head down like most birds do when they're interested in stuff. And Abe is just... He's he's doing the dumb stuff to get the box. He's using his teeth and stuff. And that just made my teeth hurt just looking at it. And she's talking about, oh, how much he's going to love it. It's this combination of sesame seeds and like some kind of worm. Yeah, like a mealworm and sesame seeds. Because my grandmother says you are what you eat. So that begs some questions. Yeah, it's like, oh, what was your grandmother eating? <laughs> And more importantly, why would mealworms and sesame seeds make Lou what he eats? I have no idea. <laughs> I can't think of a single reason why a bird would be that. So then Lou squawks at Abe again, and then he like quickly puts down the box. And I think he gives up trying to hide behind the chair. And she turns around and she's like, what's the matter? Like, Whoa! You know, sees- yeah, she like sees him and he's like frozen mid harp strum and and i I do want to mention the actual look of sheer terror on her face when she realized that there is a dude she does not know in her house and a dude who looks as weird as abe yeah and she just has this moment where she has this sheer terror of course and she looks down as though desperately trying to think of anything and then she puts her hands together and says I'm sorry, I don't cut hair in the evenings. You're going to have to leave. And that just makes me feel so bad for her. I Mm. even understand that trying to grasp at straws, thinking maybe he's just here on accident, that he wanted a haircut. Trying to pretend like the situation was much safer than it clearly was. Yeah. So at that point, Abe just sticks his hand in his jacket pocket and just points through it to make it look like he has a gun that he didn't take out of the jacket. Mm-hmm. and he's like, ah, I got a weapon in here, so just sit down. And, and of course, he doesn't sound nearly that intimidating. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> she she sits down on the chair, and she's like, I, I don't know what you're doing here. I haven't cashed the ticket in yet. Like, I knew the, they told me the crazies would be after me. And he's like, I'm no crazy. He said <laughs> crazily. <laughs> he says frothing at the mouth. <laughs> so she basically tells him that... uh. She says she, she doesn't, doesn't have, have a the ticket money. with honor. And at this point, he's kind of talking about how this ticket belongs to him. That he, it was due to him. It's, he's getting what he deserves, I guess. What's coming to him. Yeah, what's coming to him. And she, every time he brings up something like that, she responds in kind of a way that shows that she's like trying to make a conversation with him even though it's clear she's really afraid and she, she responds to that well you're not the only one who lost a lot of people lost probably millions of people did you know i feel really bad for you but it's not my fault i won and you lost just like other people did uh, and then they kind of go back and forth like that for a while and while this conversation is happening he's walking around her and she's turning in her chair until they almost make like a full 360 Mm -hmm. so her back's to us and he's kind of facing us he basically tells her oh my spirits told me that i was gonna win this and that's my winning ticket and she's like spirits you mean like distilled spirits (laughs) and he's like oh oh, very funny you know the the spirits are real and i got i got powers you know and she expresses disbelief in these powers when he mentions them 
and he decides to give her an example. Mm-hmm. So he does a, a finger thing, or he just kind of points with all of his fingers towards what looks like one of those round street lamps, and the, all the lights start to dim, and she just has kind of like a smile on her face at this point. She's just like, wow, a human... Oh, I don't remember the phrasing, but basically like a human light switch. Yeah, she you've... suggests that he works for the power company and he set it up. As a prank, mm-hmm. yeah. But it's interesting to note that once he mentions the power, his pa- dark black magic powers, and he shows it off, her body language goes from he's going to shoot me dead to not afraid at all. Mm-hmm. At this point, she also even stands up <laughs> and is just no longer afraid. Like, she's not sitting in the chair like he told her to. She actually gets up. And he kind of moves more in her face And she's just kind of smiling. Like, she's clearly no longer afraid at this point. So then Anne basically says that she doesn't even know why he wants the ticket anyway. It's not like he could cash it. And he tells her, I'm not going to cash it. I'm going to rip it up. And she's like, what? He's like, yeah, if your ticket's destroyed, they'll have to do another drawing. And then I'll be the winner. She then tries to tell him that she doesn't keep the ticket in the building and that she keeps it down at the bank. And he's like, oh, well, that's funny because, you know, I was just strolling by earlier and I could have sworn I saw it. And he, like, points over to the opposite side and he quickly turns and grabs the box. And she's like, it's not in there. And he's like, oh, really? Because I, I saw you put it in there. And she's like... It's not in there. And she has, like, such a certain face. Uh Like, she absolutely knows it's not in there, despite the fact we all just saw her put it in there. Mm -hmm. So he's like, well, maybe. Maybe if I use all my powers, I can get this box. And he just quickly grabs the key off of her, like, belt strap. And she's like, it's not in there. And he opens the box. And there is nothing inside. No ticket. No nothing. And... He looks confused, and she's just sitting there with a smile on her face. Like, yeah, no, there's nothing in the box. And the music box is playing, and it gets this nice kind of creepy music to it as it plays and builds up to the commercial break. And after he opens the box, he's, of course, understandably confused why the ticket wasn't in there. And, of course, she says, oh, of course the ticket isn't there. He must be seeing things, Lucifer. And she is referring to her bird. And, of course, Abe is like, Lucifer? And he's like, something really strange is going on here. And she agrees with him. Oh, yes, I agree with you. And she takes the box from him, closes it, and puts it back onto the counter. And then she actually says, how about we just forget this whole thing? And I won't press charges. And you could just go home and forget that any of this happened. And, of course, he doesn't want to do that. He wants that ticket. And he goes to where I know it's I know you're hiding this somewhere. Mm -hmm. And he runs over to this side. That's looks like it's behind the little screen that she changed behind earlier. And it it looks like a stage. Mm -hmm. And she actually gets upset and she chases after him like he's on to something. And he goes to pick up this panel and she like points downward and the thing closes on him. And it's done really quickly, so you don't quite notice it. Like, maybe she threw it down herself. And he gets, like, shocked because he just closed it on him. And so he then tries to use his powers to lift the door very slowly. (laughs) 
And then she just points downward and then it just closes harder than his able to open it. Mm-hmm. And then he tries doing it again. And then she just closes it without even moving her hand. And then they're like trying to do it again. And this time he can't even get it open. Like no matter how much he tries, you can hear the weird instrument in the back that's playing the kind of make his power like the synth kind mm-hmm. of. And it's he just can't open it. And then she looks at it again, and then you hear like a like her weird instrument sound whenever she does something. And she's like, "Be my guest, open it up." And then he opens it, and he sees a poster inside. And it's literally the same poster as the one he has, the seven-sided star with the Eye of Providence and all that. But hers is 666-667, of course, the winning ticket. And then she's like, well, looks like we both have something in common. And I think it's at this point where she says, you know what, like, you're probably a nice guy. Maybe we could get to know each other and just trying to convince him off of this. And that's when he notices the other thing inside of this weird stage storage space. And it's a giant black and white photo of Abe with a pair of scissors in his neck. And it's not gory. It's it's just a picture of scissors kind of on his neck with a shiny light where the neck Actually, it's just a picture of him with scissors sitting on top of the picture. Because the scissors are, like, silver, they kind of match the picture, and it looks like it's part of the picture, but they're actually kind of off-frame slightly, so they're not actually in the picture. It's oh. just sitting on the top. Well, dang. I, <laughs> I thought that was in the picture. I mean, if the scissors are, like, a color, that would have probably made it obvious that they weren't a part of the picture, but they're silver scissors, so they look black and white. Mm-hmm. So he's confused, like, oh, my God, why do you have my picture? And she's like... Well, Abe, your guides told me a lot about you. Don't you know that little boys shouldn't play with spirits? And he starts panicking. Then she tells him that the ticket was never the important thing, but rather the powers and what you were willing to do to obtain them. She then tells Abe that she gave him plenty of opportunities to leave. But he didn't. And of course, by now, he's fleeing. He's like, ha, Charlie, I'm out of here. And he (laughs) runs for the door. And then she goes, snip, snip. And then the lights go out. And you hear something pop. And this is something a little silly that I noticed. The balloons are being shot by, like, a pellet gun or a BB gun or whatever you want to call them. They're not usually lethal or anything, but they do hurt if you get hit by them. And they're powerful enough to pop a balloon, which is what they're doing. Because she has all these balloons left over from a party. She says, snip, snip, and the balloons pop. But in this one shot, you can actually see the little pellet that they shot hit the balloons and bounce off. And freaks the bird out. And it freaks the bird out. And that poor bird. <laughs> the poor bird is going through a lot in this episode. Yeah, Lou, Lou is just squawking and squawking. Uh-huh. And once he hears the balloons pop, it's like, I'm getting out of here. And he runs to the door and he opens the, the iron part to get out. She's like, snip, snip. And then the gate closes and then more balloons pop. And then he runs towards the window and she goes, snip, snip again. 
and then the balloons near the window pop, and then the window closes and locks. And after a while, uh, well, after the first couple of seconds, really, of him running from her going snip, snip, and then basically attacking him this way, she begins to sort of monologue. Mm-hmm. She tells him that men always leave her and that even though they may find her interesting, they ultimately never want to spend their lives with a nobody. And then during this, he's backing up. He bumps the music box off the table and it opens. And now on top of the monologue, we have the creepy music box song playing while she's talking. Yes. And it just adds so much to the scene. Yeah, this is honestly the best scene and let me try to describe it to you as she's kind of giving a her almost motivations for seeking out this dark power there's this sad music box music playing in the background all the lights are off and it cuts between these really close-up shots of her talking of balloons popping of abe kind of dodging as his clothes are getting more ripped looking and both their feet as they walk across this black and white checkered floor. And of course, all the while, while the bird is squawking. Mm. And it is really... I mean, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It really is. It's some amazing scene construction there. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so well organized to make this really kind of creepy and yet also interestingly sympathetic at the same time. Yeah, because she's clearly in the same kind of boat as he is. She's talking about being a nobody, which is what he thought from the very beginning, being mm. angry at his job, and she's in that same boat, except well, her decision wasn't for money, but to take control of her life. Mm -hmm. It's to gain some power over Yeah, it. but specifically she wants and says to she was going to take control of her life. And that's, of course, according to her, not just the money, but the power itself. And, of course, she's also going snip-snip between little bouts of monologue here. Mm -hmm. So he is backed into the chair, and his clothes are shredded. And like, what are you doing to me? And this is the part where she starts to tell him that for every victory, that there's a sacrificial lamb, and that for every winner, there's a loser. And at that point, she kind of gracefully glides backwards up onto the window ledge, and reverse footage, but it looks pretty cool. And she tells Abe, here it is, the winning ticket. And she pulls it out and you can see that it has the six sixes on it. And she's like, oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. This isn't the winning ticket. This one is all sixes. And then she says, so tell me, Abe, shall I go snip snip? And then he gets angry and he goes up to her and says, that ticket is mine. And then you see her open and close the scissors really quick. And then... Not much of an impact shot, but you see him reeling backwards and then dead on the floor with the scissors in his neck. Yeah. And, and we get a shot of the empty music box. And the music's still going. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, though, because you don't actually see her moving to stab him. You don't really see what she's doing exactly, but you do see him moving forward. And that motion kind of blocks what she's doing. But he falls back with the scissors in his neck. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that might have to do with some censorship, mm -hmm. maybe. 
just because the whole subject of the episode is about Satan worship, basically. So maybe something violent and Satan worshipy is probably too much for television. Whereas in another episode, someone legit gets violently stabbed in an episode with blood and it's shown on TV. I think they just gory, disgust, and shot. I think they wanted that shock to be him laying on the floor, not mm-hmm. him getting stabbed. Yeah. And of course, following him laying on the floor with the scissors in his neck, we have just a kind of moment where we see him laying there in the dark, no blood, by the way, with the music box playing. And we just have that sort of second. And then we have the shot kind of pulling back and we see her walking over him, walking to the bird and just kind of fleeing the ticket behind her. And it kind of flutters and lands next to Abe's head. <laughs> and she promises to get Lou his dinner at last. Hmm. This poor thing has been starving this whole time. And terrified. And terrified. <laughs> so then we cut to the next day where she has, I'm assuming, cashed in the money and she's giving Phil... A haircut, like she said she was going to yesterday. And she's like, so, Phil, are we going for anything today? And he's like, oh, you know me. Anything you do, that's just a fine. And she's like, okay. And then she's going through her mannequin heads. And she's like, oh, we've done this one before. I don't think this look is for you yet. And it's like a mohawk. <laughs> and she's like, I don't think this one will work. And then... She said, comment something about the fourth one. Then to the fifth one, he's like, I've been dying to try this one. And he's like, all right, yeah, let's go with that one. And then the camera moves and you see that the fifth and final mannequin head is Abe's head. And that is the closing shot of the episode. So, Valina, what do you think of this episode? I really love this episode. Mm. It takes a kind of mundane idea, sort of. Like, oh, winning the lottery and people are going to be fighting over the ticket. I mean, it's like the very beginning of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. (laughs) But it's with demon worshippers, kind of. I mean, Mm. they're not really demon worshippers as far as we know, but they're like dark magic users. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe not satanists. Uh, I pronounce that weirdly. <laughs> it's Satine. And she's able, and this is one thing I was like really, really impressed by in the, with that ending scene in particular, is the fact that she's this really kind of, I mean, she's not necessarily small, but she's a very cutesy looking girl. She's got really fluffy, almost white curly hair with a big old bow, like a nice little dress and a very cutesy voice. And she is actually kind of terrifying during that scene. And she literally says snip, snip each time she makes an attack. And that's like cute by itself. Snip, snip. I mean, just saying it. But she actually is kind of terrifying. That whole scene is so intense. And when at the end, she's like, when she's threatening Abe's ticket and she says, should I go snip, snip? Like, on paper, you would think that would not be scary at all, but it totally is. And I'm so impressed by that. That really, when I first watched it, that really blew me away that that was actually really, just really well done. Yes, her performance is one of the best parts of this episode. Mm-hmm. Now, I have an interesting topic to discuss when it comes to this episode. Something that kind of intrigues me quite a bit. Hmm. Do you think that this episode's characters, the the two worshippers, do you think they're using spirits and contacting spirits? Or is this like Solomon's spirits in that they're demons? 
Well, it's kind of weird because clearly they use the number 666. I mean, Abe does and, and she does too. Just her group Poster. of sixes has a seven at the end. But they don't really... I mean, she has a bird named Lucifer, which again is a demonic name. But as far as we know, it's just a bird. It's not like really demonic in any way. She just named it that. So she's clearly more invested in this part than he is. But uh, he's also clearly the nastier person. Uh-huh. Uh, I actually do want to get into their character differences a bit later. But to answer your question, she does mention talking about guides and spirits, not necessarily demons. Hmm. Despite her having the bird Lucifer, she doesn't actually talk about demons with Whatsoever. The only entities she explicitly mentions are spirits and guides. Hmm. So as far as I know, she attained her power from them and she has the power herself. We know that, but we don't really know whether or not she was working through demon demons other than, of course, the 666 numbers. Yes. So what do you think about that? I find it interesting. Of course, there's so much occult imagery in this with the six sixes and having the pentacle which is in this it's a seven-sided star but normally it's five-sided and he has this little chalice that he throws things into and it bursts into smoke i feel like it's very much intended to be kind of satan worshipy but it might have been too far because again this is 80s america this is when the devil scare was a big big part of american culture where fear of satan worshipers was a huge thing well that would be something they would want to take advantage of in a horror anthology and i'm pretty sure this anthology itself just straight up has demons like the adding a jack yes i mean that's further away but there's more episodes with actual demons like even in um what is it i'll give you a million there's an actual devil in there you know, and they're, they're talking about selling their souls. But they're almost exclusively antagonistic, except where this episode would be, where they're helping the main characters. Well, but they're still kind of antagonistic. These are two kind of bad people fighting each other, right? Yes. I mean, I guess she's not really bad other... Well, no, actually, take it back. She... <laughs> I, I almost forgot about the fact she's got a collection of heads in her house. Okay, so she's pretty bad. <laughs> but it's kind of like bad against bad here. She's sympathetic, but she's not good at least not entirely good <laughs> she's at least nice to other people it's interesting she has done more bad things but is a generally better person mm-hmm. whereas abe is generally not a good person and has done a lot less bad things that we know that of. we I mean, know clearly of. He, he probably doesn't have a collection of heads yeah but we don't really know he he seems like he's an exceedingly an unpleasant individual mm-hmm. While she seems to be very pleasant in general and is pretty sincere as far as you can tell. Mm-hmm. While clearly Abe, any kind of niceness he may have is 100% faked. Mm-hmm. The way he is talking about his boss and his students, he clearly hates them and probably hides it because he needs his job. While you have her being genuinely nice to people and even inviting her landlord over to a party about the ticket without really worrying about him taking advantage of her or hurting her or stealing it. He clearly has this good relationship with her and she reciprocates. She even says, come back tomorrow and I'll trim your hair. Just like she didn't just win like a million dollars or however much it was supposed to be, right? Because like him, he was just going to say shove it or he did say shove it to his boss. He said all these nasty things about the people he worked with. Even when he thought he was going to win, he just let all of his anger and resentment pour out and while she actually won had the ticket in her hand was still nice to the people in her life and didn't just throw them under the bus just because she could so this episode is about family 
Duh, I guess. Not really. <laughs> well, I mean, by the sounds of it, the more sympathetic character in this is the one that holds on to their family when they make it big, whereas the guy is who is not the good guy in this, Abe, mm-hmm. he doesn't have family because he d- he's not a good person. He doesn't hold on to them. Hmm. And you know what? Actually, that brings me to something I really wanted to discuss, and that is the true difference between these two characters and about how they interact with other people. Now, I want to mention the things that make them the same first. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they're both these black magic users that have these evil powers, and they both want to win tons of money. Mm -hmm. And very importantly, both of them feel about themselves, puts them in the same boat. Abe thinks he's, he calls himself a miserable slob, Mm -hmm. right? When he thinks he's going to get what's coming to him when he's trying to rob her at the very beginning. And then later, Anna or Annie says that no one wanted to stay with her, all the men in her life, because she was a no one beautician. Mm -hmm. So that reveals that she thinks kind of the same way about herself that Abe does, that they're nobodies. And it's kind of related to their jobs, right? Because they don't have a whole lot of money. They can't get a lot of money and their standing in life puts them pretty low Mm -hmm. in their eyes, of course. Now, that's all the stuff that makes them the same. And what makes them different, I think, is why she wins and he loses. And it has a lot to do with how they treat other people. Mm -hmm. Now, Abe kind of blames everyone else in his life for his position. When he has that fight with his boss, he blames... Well, he doesn't necessarily blame exactly, but he has all this resentment towards all of them. Like, he deserves to be above them for no other reason than he hates them. And I'm not really sure if that constitutes blame blaming them for keeping him down in some way, but it does show that he is completely disconnected from other people in his life. So despite the fact that he thinks of himself as a loser, he also holds himself in much higher esteem than everyone else. It's like, I'm a loser, but I'm sure better than all of you, you know? And it's just that disrespect that he treats his boss with, the disrespect he treats his students with and their parents even, going so far as even insult people he'd probably interact with less, right? And then you have her. She does have resentment towards the men who've left her because it's like a reminder of her lowly position, right? All these men come in here and they say, well, you're kind of cute, but no one wants to spend the rest of their life with a no one beautician. And well, we'll get to the mannequin heads and who they might very well be. She clearly is like Abe in that. She has disdain for people like that as well. But as opposed to kind of having this blame on them for either being the cause of it, it's more like putting her down further, making her reminded of where she is, or maybe even making her think that's where she is, right? Maybe she wouldn't have had the idea of herself if people weren't, maybe they even told her that to her face. I don't know. But it does kind of make them the same. But she still is able to connect to other people, her clients, her landlord, right? She still likes other people. And this is also kind of reflected in how, while she's talking about what she's going to do with the money, she mentions how she's going to have the best beauty parlor in all of whatever town she lives in. Mm -hmm. So she still wants to be working. Like she still likes what she's doing. She just wants to have the money to have a good one and not be working out of her own house. And that's, of course, you can see that when she tells Bill to come up to get his hair 
done in the morning even when she was rich because that's what she likes doing that's how she connects to others and what this ultimately boils down to is what Abe and Annie both want to do with the money now we don't really know what Abe wants to do with the money and I don't even think he knows what he wants to do with the money because for him his status just as a human being and it's all reliant on how much he's making more than others right it's that money that's going to make him not a poor slob it's that money that's gonna bring him up in life but how just having the money what's it gonna do we know nothing about really what he wants with it and annie has all these things that she wants even down to like fantasizing about silly things like turning down famous actors who are gonna be wanting to marry her based off how rich she is mm-hmm. which is a bit of a power fantasy in and of itself to be mm-hmm. so wanted they can just turn actors down right mm-hmm. but she does say that kind of jokingly but later on when she talks about the men in her life leaving her we do kind of figure out that that's a bit of a point of sensitivity for her and maybe her actual hurt but the real important part is that she has goals for the money the money is going to help her make her life better it's going to help her get a better salon it's going to maybe help her find more meaningful relationships at least this is what she might think in order to have people not think she's just a loser and they can't stick around with her but most importantly it's just a means to an end that money isn't in and of itself the good life it is a stepping stone into a better life one that she's already started and for abe there's nothing past that money at all the money is everything to him just thinking he is gonna win made him go quit his job like already like he drops everything because he thinks that money is absolutely everything right but it isn't and that's how her powers are like better than his Mm -hmm. and she mentioned that it's not about the money or it's not about the ticket it's about the power and what you're willing to do to obtain it and that's the important part she also mentions when he finds his picture inside her little hidden compartment that his guides told her everything about him which means that even his ability to get these dark powers was completely void of connection to the people or the things giving those powers to him while she developed a connection with them to the point where i guess she's talking to her own spirits but also his she was able to connect to his which is why they probably let him lose so in an odd way i kind of feel like these dark powers (laughs) the satanic power that they're using in this episode is oddly connected to their interactions with other people. Hmm. So it's kind of saying that the satanic powers were the friends you made along the way. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of literally. She has the powers to change your own life and be able to do things like win lotteries because she's able to connect with others, able to connect with the people that come into her salon, able to connect with her landlord, able to connect with dark spirits, giving her satanic powers. These all require, if not empathy, the just ability to treat others with respect and nicely and to, as far as you can tell from their interactions, to genuinely care. At least from the interaction between her and Phil. While on the other hand, you have Abe, who clearly does not connect with anyone, has disrespect for everyone he comes across, and in the end, couldn't even respect his own spirit guides enough to 
I guess, make them want to help him. Because <laughs> they, in the end, choose her over him as well. Because she connected to them, and he didn't. So she defeats Abe using the power of friendship. Pretty much. And scissors. And scissors. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny, because if you think about it, scissors cut connections. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. So she's able to destroy him by cutting connections, right? Huh. <laughs> sort of. It's a bit of a stretch. I think that thematically might fit, especially considering that theme is strongly connected with this so far, based off of all of the pieces of evidence that you have with what that system revolves around. Mm -hmm. Although now that I think about it too, the fact that she decided to, as you put it, take control over her life, which I'm assuming is the point before she got the dark powers, it was actually due to the fact that these men kept leaving her. Mm -hmm. So it was literally severed connections that pushed her into getting these dark powers that allowed her to change her life. So she lost these connections, made her want to make different connections, and I'm assuming get revenge because of all the mannequin heads. Now, I want to ask you a question. Yes. What is up with all them hideous mannequin heads? You know, I was debating that before we sat down to discuss the episode. And honestly, I feel like there's two possibilities. One, they could all, for simplicity's sake, all be the men that left her. And she decided to use them to, say, gain the dark powers by the sacrifices right, that she says that is required for every victory, which I don't think she would bring that up unless that had some kind of thematic tie to what happens with Abe and seeing his head among others that are likewise just as realistic as his. Or they are completely random victims that she kind of found by chance and they are just mannequin heads because that's a good way to hide the bodies apparently hmm. see i don't really know about them i feel like they have to be her previous boyfriends just because of the fact that that seems to be such a sore point with her that if these mannequin heads are actual people which i want to say they are they're very freaking creepy mm -hmm. so i want to think that they are actual people that they would be her ex-boyfriends and she did that to get revenge on them or to keep them forever <laughs> right because i actually I actually don't think she has to kill anyone for those powers. She does mention in order to have a winner, there has to be a loser. Every victory needs a sacrificial lamb. But we don't see Abe doing that. And also... His powers are super weak. True, but he still has them. Yeah. But it's kind of true regardless, though. Just by definition, if someone's winning something, in order to be winning, someone else has to have lost. Or else it's just kind of like a self-motivated goal. Mm -hmm. right because in order just to be a winner there have to be losers even like uh i don't know the nanorimo you're doing that all by yourself but you can win and just by definition if you can win you can also lose mm -hmm. so there does have to be a loser for there to be a winner now the whole sacrificial lamb part's a bit weird because again we haven't really been shown that to be necessary abe did lose but he does have powers so those powers themselves don't necessarily require anyone to win or lose right and that's kind of what the problem is is that those powers in and of themselves are given they're not one so you don't have to be a, a loser or or a sacrificial lamb to have the powers but in the, with a lottery you do have to right you do have to lose and you do get to win so mm. i feel like that could be kind of by definition because otherwise we haven't been shown how the magic really works 
and it doesn't seem like it requires actual sacrifices. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did sacrifice one thing, and his that was dignity. his job. <laughs> I don't know how much that well, would count, though. I don't but... think so. It was after the fact. He did that of his own accord. Oh, here's a quick question. Not that that was kind of brought up. I just thought of something. When Abe throws a little piece of paper in the little chalice, and mm-hmm. it explodes, and it becomes his ticket, didn't he already pay for the ticket? And shouldn't he, by buying the ticket... Shouldn't he already have the ticket? Why did he need to throw the paper in the chalice and it explode to be the ticket he already bought? Maybe just put it in there as like an evil blessing. No, I mean, well, it wasn't his ticket that he threw in there. I mean, I don't remember. It was a paper. That it was a white piece of paper he threw in there and then it explodes and it becomes his red ticket. Well, I don't know. What's like, it up could've... with that? Like, did he just not want to walk to the other room and grab it? Or like... <laughs> could be. <laughs> he is pretty lazy. Like, he made it fly. <laughs> You know, for all of the effort that he has to do to, like, play the invisible harp to make that thing move a couple of inches through the air, you just move over and grab it and you'd get that over with in, like, two seconds. Considering (laughs) how he shoves the phone inside the the crook of the arm of the chair, I feel like he was showing off, despite the fact that it's an old-fashioned phone and the dude can see through it, because it literally looked like he was showing off to the phone. But it's like, you know, he can't see you, right? All he's hearing is like a puh and whatever gibberish you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think that's just him just showing off. showing off to nothing. Like his winking at the television. That doesn't, <laughs> he can't see you. It's just this idea in his head that he's showing off, but no one can see him. Again, it's like the lack of connection, right? All that matters is that he feels that way. It doesn't matter if, it, if there is any sort of connection occurring. And that's kind of like the main part of Abe's character, really, is that he focuses on the absolute wrong things that are meaningless. Like, (laughs) winking at the television. It's a completely useless, empty gesture. Showing off to the phone. Again, it's like no one is looking at him. There is literally no reason to be doing it. And another thing that I realize really does show off a whole lot of his character, besides those two small gestures is the ending when she threatens to cut his ticket, which is a losing ticket. She threatens to cut it, and at the cost of his life, he literally lunges after it, saying, that's my ticket. He basically just died for a ticket that is useless. It's just the idea that it's associated with him that makes it important. It's his, even though it is completely meaningless, right? It's literally a symbol of the fact that he lost and he still thinks of it as important, even though it is meaningless. So he's very connected to things that have no weight in the world Mm. at all because he builds them up in his mind to be important for no other reason than their connection to him. And you know what? I think that's a fantastic place to leave off. Hmm. I think that's a really good point. And that, I think that beautifully summarizes his half of the whole connections part. Mm-hmm. So, Valina, you are pretty much married to the whole rating star system. How many seven-pointed stars will you give this episode? Uh, I feel like I might be a little too biased towards this episode. Hmm. I might be rating a bit highly. But I freaking love this episode. I watched it like three times in a row and just loved it more each time. So it's getting four and a half seven-pointed stars. Oh. Now, do me a solid and tell me and the audience what keeps this from being five star. Just no cannibalism in it. 
Well, you don't know what she does with the body. So, I mean, that, that can be head cat. Uh, she probably fed, feeds them to Lou. Yeah, well, that would work out pretty well. I mean, he's some kind of weird meat-eating bird. Actually, the only thing that keeps this from being a full five stars is a bit of silliness in it with that whole pentagram, not even a pentagram, that weird completely useless poster that they both have. Mm -hmm. It just makes no sense for them both to have the same exact thing because you don't see them doing that little fire poofing thing and it coming out. They bought that somewhere or made it or something. Why do they have that? And why does it look exactly the same? And why does it look exactly the same? I don't know. Maybe it does deserve full five stars, but it certainly doesn't deserve any less than four and a half. That's a good rating. I'd say this is highly rewatchable. Oh, yes. It is definitely a fun one to watch, mm -hmm. and I thoroughly recommend it. Yes. If you can find it anywhere. Yeah. So, because next episode is yours, what is our next episode for Tales from the Dark Side? Oh, boy. It's Answer Me. Oh, boy. And Answer <laughs> Me is... It's an exercise in monologuing. The main character does a whole lot of it for no reason. Mm -hmm. You want to talk to yourself, say why you're awake while you're trying to sleep to no one in the room but yourself? <laughs> That's the whole episode. She's just talking to herself as though someone is listening to her. And it's us. We're listening. But she doesn't need to be speaking out loud. It's so weird. Mm -hmm. Also, the phone just doesn't stop ringing. Yeah. So you might say that that episode's a little phoned in. Oh, yes. <laughs> So, Valina, how would you contact our guides? Well, you can contact our guides by writing thishousepodcast at gmail.com into your browser, printing up the screenshot of that browser, crumpling it up and tossing it into a golden chalice, and it will explode and you'll be able to hear our voices on the other side. Mm -hmm. Promise you. Very direct. Yes. Or you can go to This House Podcast on Instagram and find us there where we post practically nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's full of awesome stuff. Just occasionally. <laughs> Just occasionally. We post about episodes that we post when we post them. So while you're hearing this, hey, you can look at a picture of it. Yeah. Right then and there. And occasionally you and can see. And you can see... look at Abe's ugly head. Oh, yes. <laughs> Just hideous mannequin head. Actually, we're not going to post a picture of that. Maybe we should. <laughs> should post just random screenshots from each episode. Just out of context. Just out of context beforehand. <laughs> so that way you can see what we have to see before you get to hear about us seeing it. And then you get to connect the dots. Please find and rate us five seven-pointed stars on iTunes. And leave us a wonderful review. And we promise that our guides will say good things about you. Yes, and they won't let you lose the lottery. Definitely. That's all for tonight's episode. So, listeners, before we go snip snip... <laughs> <laughs>